0: well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, one hundred four point five FM and AM nine thirty. It is good to be with you another weekend, our week night, and another evening, reflecting into the richness of our faith as we do here on Tuesday evenings. We get into the great Christian thinkers in history, reflecting into church history. Um, if you've been listening to us for the first three weeks, this being the fourth week, you know that. Uh, we were really hitting the ground, um, really laying the foundation in so far as asking the important questions. What is history? Why do we study history? Uh, and also, of course, last week we started treating uh, uh, figures, and very important to understanding what history is all about. And we started with Matthew, where we're going to really hit the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm doing all of this, of course, with John O'Hare from St. John the Baptist Catholic Church. And John, it is good to have you with me another Uh, weeknight reflecting into this great topic of history. Thank you, Joe. Pleasure to be here. So, John, last week we took up Matthew and we really focused in on who he was as a person, Um, (laughs) being mindful that, you know, God really uh, had a way of selecting his first followers.
1: (laughs) He did, Joe. One of my favorite little parts of Matthew is chapters 5, 6, and 7. Jesus' great speech. And what does he follow that with? A chapter or two on miracles. Yeah. Why should you believe this guy? Devils are cast out. Yeah. People are cured. Uh, the, the the paralyzed man gets off his palate and walks.
0: Yeah, yeah, and he's a man who a lot of people can identify with, right? Uh, so this is important because as we talk about history and we focus in on, you know, the the church in and through history, we have to take up uh, the individuals that have given shape and form to history. Uh, Again, that great John Paul II quote, that history is not a series of chronological events, but an event of freedom, therefore an event of man. Uh, Mm. This is what we're about. Now, tonight, John, we have the opportunity to do something. As we use (laughs) the phrase church history, With Matthew, we have the opportunity to look at what the word church means because certainly uh, it is important to him. It is the only gospel that actually uses the word itself, and it is very relevant to uh, where we are going because in future programs, we're going to be considering some popes uh, and uh, the importance of, of councils in history. So this is all very important stuff as we're still yet laying the groundwork with these uh, evangelists. And, of course, Matthew.
1: I, I think it was Benedict the Sixteenth, I think, who mentioned that uh, without the Church, we wouldn't know Christ. It was the Church that carried his words forward into history. So Church is hugely important, that institution.
0: Yeah, baptize and teach. Correct. Right? <laughs> 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 baptize and teach. And so he, he really... You know, Christ gave the apostles a teaching program. This is, this is what it looks like. And so this is what you have, of course, in the, uh, in, in the Acts of the Apostles, the sacramental life of the church and the teaching church. So, yeah, very much so. But again, as we use that word church, what do we intend to mean? So this is what tonight's program is about, focusing on that word. But to do so, we need to draw back... And once again, appreciate some of the language we used last week, John, as we were wrapping up last week, in so far as understanding that that big word typology and the unity of the two testaments. Okay, so in the opening of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew in his first verse says, "Jesus the Son of Abraham, the Son of David." He's placed a primacy, if you will, to our Lord's pedigree, and certainly placing a primacy with Just not Christ's lineage to David, but what ultimately emerges as the great theme to the Gospel of Matthew, and that is the kingdom of David or the kingdom of God. It's interesting if you were to go into the Gospel of Matthew and record how many times that Matthew actually uses the title to Christ, son of David. He uses it nine times, which certainly is a lot more than any other Gospel. It's clearly his emphasis. Now, the question that I'm often asked when I talk about this is, why? You know, any time you have a theme to any one book or any one chapter, it provokes the question, why? So, we're going to answer that question. If you're to go back into the Old Testament and 2 Samuel 7, you have one of the great covenants in Israelite history when our Lord uh, comes to David through uh, Nathan the prophet and essentially says, In your line, through your line, I will establish the kingdom of God, not for a period of time, not for a couple of years, right? For all eternity. For all eternity. And this is widely important, John, because ultimately, this is what Matthew wants to reconnect his listening audience with. You know, Matthew, who is he writing to? He's writing to a Palestinian... Christian Jewish audience. He's writing to an audience that is well-versed in the Old Testament. So, uh, he's going to draw them, he's going to lure them in with images and, and things that are familiar so that they might better understand. I, uh, I taught sixth grade and uh, seventh grade, John, and, and you know, there was one day <laughs> for an explanation of why, how important this is, one day, uh, I, I came into the classroom, as in the early morning, and uh, there were three boys who were, who were talking about a, a Simpsons episode, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the, the night before. And I tell you what, they were darn near verbatim on this episode. They're going back and forth and they're cracking each other up because of how well they remembered the program and so on and so forth. <laughs> so we happened to, on that same day, be talking about... Uh, in, in in some real simple terms, what we're talking about right now. You know, the importance of uh, who Matthew was writing to and the fact that they knew the Old Testament. And so uh, I had a student challenge me because I said, you know, by the age of 13, the, the, the faithful Jews, they had the Old Testament all but memorized. That was their life, right? So he says, no way. So it occurs to me, it occurred to me then that, you know, they were pretty good about remembering something from last night, you know, because it's what they spend time with. So I called him and his buddies up. There were three of them, and I asked them to, uh, and they had no idea what I was doing. I asked them to give me uh, the Simpsons episode last night. Oh, and they were carrying on. I let them go on for five, six, seven minutes, carrying on. The class is laughing, and they're looking at me. The, the one student who kind of challenged me says, all right, Mr. H, what's, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? So I let them go. I really wanted them to understand the point, And they carried on for the three or four minutes. And maybe if the principal came in, she would have been thinking, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> what was I doing? They sat down and I reminded them that, you know, what you feed gross. You spent a half hour with this one program and, and you're, you're pretty good at giving it, regurgitating it back verbatim. I mean, word by word. You have to understand something. The Jews lived and breathed the Old Testament. Uh, So they knew the Old Testament. It was on their fingertips. Matthew knows this, so he develops this. It's in their stream of consciousness. So all of this is very important for us as students of Scripture, and certainly as we begin to embark upon a study on how to better understand that word and term, church. Very important.
1: I agree. I have often, when I read Matthew, I wondered, I wish... Christians and Catholics were as well catechized as those Jews were because they really knew their stuff. I wish we had a Jeopardy show on, you know, <laughs> where we, yeah, see See how well people, you know, knew their their faith.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> I tell you what, that would be nice. <laughs> I, you know, John, one of the things that might help us moving forward in, into Matthew 16 is is to be mindful that as the son of David and the Davidic kingdom of kingdom David is, is a theme for the gospel of Matthew, as he wants them to see that Christ has come to fulfill that great promise, he also establishes Peter as an important figure. Uh, we see this in, in just a few chapters before uh, this, this great series of verses in Matthew 16, where, you know, there is Peter in the boat, and he sees our Lord. And it's funny, I hear from time to time, people talk about or commenting how Jesus was the only person to walk on water. Well, that's actually not true. Peter also walked on water. I mean, there was a period in history, in time, where a man walked on water. And yes, he fell, but what does he say? Oh, Lord, save me. You know, and of course, this is all of our great cry when we fall, but he walked on water. Why is this important? Because here you have a man who's aspiring to the supernatural, who has these great aspirations. And uh, this this is important to Matthew. He wants to draw out this, and he does so with many other pieces in his gospel about the importance of Peter. And it really hits home here with Matthew 16. And if you can go ahead and read that, uh, John, that'd be great. I'd love to. Uh,
1: Beginning with chapter 13, Matthew 16, verse 13. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed us to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven and he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ.
0: Amen. Some beautiful verses there. Uh, Some of the pieces I would like to highlight, again, as they serve us, John, to better understand what it means when we use that uh, terminology of church history. Um, First of all, uh, what the word itself means, uh, church, and the fact that he says my church, He doesn't say a church, but he says my church. And he
1: didn't say your church? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes, my church. He says, I will be with you till the end of the time. And he is because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that infuses the life of the church. The Holy Spirit, John, acts as the protagonist of the life of the church. Very important as we talk about this. Now, the word church... The Greek "ekklesia" it means uh, to call. The Latin translates assembly of believers. What's going on here? Well, let us go back to the Old Testament. The Hebrew uh, kehal that translates church in the Old Testament literally means assembly of believers. These were God's chosen people, John. Okay, Uh, so God calls forth his chosen people. We see this in the book of Exodus. And in doing so, he establishes his people as his own, his family, uh, his clan, his tribe, and ultimately his kingdom. But they are his people. Now that they, they are overseen by what the 12 tribes of Israel, and those 12 tribes of Israel kind of acted as judges, overseers, if you will, to the, the tribes themselves. But they were his church, his assembly of believers. And certainly they get off the beaten path, and as we read in Kings, but this was that original church. Now, when Christ says, I will build my church, he's already established another 12, okay, a new 12. And the role of the new 12 will be to oversee his new church. Now, what he does is very important in so far as what changes in the identity of the church, in so far as, okay, in the Old Testament, The church was a national identity okay it it had its kingdom identity but it was not universal per se what christ makes clear in the gospels is that gentile jew greek alike as john says belong to me we have the wonderful passage from from john 4 and the samaritan woman you know the samaritan woman what's going on there this woman from the town of Samaria, Samaria, who, who they worshiped up in Mount Gerizim, these five false gods? What's going on? What's, what's the business there? What does he say to her? Well, you now are called to worship the one true God. It's interesting. As a little footnote here, John, in that dialogue, it's always fascinating to me when her response is that I have five husbands, he says, I know, and it's like she's shocked. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why? The Hebrew word for husband is Baal. Baal were, the, were the, the false gods that they worshipped. Oh. So you see, it, it is in their worship that they were entering into this false relationship with these false gods. So that's kind of a fun little tidbit there. But it highlights our discussion now, John, because ultimately this is a new church that is a universal church that is going to be instituted for the sake of the universal family and. And most importantly, that this church that he's going to establish in history is to be set up so as to bear witness to his life and his love. Uh, One great theologian, Von Balthasar, and maybe 99% of our listeners don't know who that is, but he's a great theologian. He says, you know, the most fundamental vocation of the church is to bear witness to the truth and love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, amen. So he establishes this church that Paul calls in his letter to 1 Timothy 3.15 as the household of God. So it has this familial identity, and he does so for a reason. Now, as we move forward, considering some more of these verses, there's some fun tidbits here. Uh, you know, we, we have a, a name change with uh, Peter, this Bar-Jonah. What's, what's that business? Well, he's a new Jonah. Who is Jonah. Well, Jonah restored the hopes of lost people in the Old Testament, right? Here we have Peter called to restore the hopes of the lost people. Uh, certainly the name change itself, a point that can never be spoken to enough, John. Anytime you see a name change, you have an elevation of status. Uh, very important. And certainly this is realized, and you know, I get asked the question, I've been asked it quite a bit, just you know, about a year ago, right? Because we had another, another Pope. Why does the Pope change his name? I got the question just two nights ago. Why does the Pope change his name? It's to recognize that there's a, uh, an elevation of status and certainly to assume the, the kind of vocation or maybe role that that name is. So, for example, uh, Pope Francis, he's, he's taking the name Francis to rekindle this dynamic unity between poverty and evangelization. Uh, no question about it, and he spoke to that. So, the names we take have purpose and meaning. And certainly, we have that being the case here with With Peter, who, uh, in the Greek, is sephos, right? So it's uh, it's rock or sizable stone. Uh, So very important, as this is a a term that was used in the Old Testament as kind of the foundation stone for the building of of a temple. Christ gives him this new name because he's going to become the the new foundation, uh, foundation stone. Excuse me for the new covenant church. All very important. And John, the listeners and the readers, maybe better said, of this gospel would have been well-informed on what we're talking about right now, well-informed on the significance and the weight of what we're talking about right now. Um, You know, the terminology binding and loosening in the Greek is a a, a phrase that speaks to a future tense, this kind of... uh, Uh, an employment of an understanding of a completed heavenly action while denoting a present-future continual action Mm. coming to earth to heaven as a result of earthly mediation. All in the Greek there. So that can't be the case. Yes, it is. It's all there. So, yes, all these points that we're talking about right now are very important. As I go through the Gospels, it seems to me,
1: human being, Peter was the natural choice in the sense that he seemed to be the leader, the most assertive, rather talkative. I'm not saying that he was the sharpest. I would probably personally go to John the Evangelist, but uh, he was there, he knew what he was involved, and he just spoke like the most in charge of the group. He was the natural one in my opinion, I mean yeah, for, for Christ to, to select, to be the leader of the church.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, Johnny kind of highlights what we talked about last week, you know? <laughs> here's, here's the one figure that probably sticks his foot in his mouth more than any other apostle. True. And uh, it's a way of God saying, you see, look at me working. You know it's me working, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, it, and it's kind of fun to think about that because I think it gives us all hope in our weakness, right? Uh,
1: Peter was Pope number one. When George Washington was sworn in as President of the United States, we had Pope 250, in office. Now we're up to Pope 266. So Christ has to be behind this. It's the longest serving institution in the world. And uh, Peter was not Napoleon. Yeah. Thank heavens. Yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah.
0: Yeah, well, and, and the, the wonderful uh, story of his martyrdom, you know, yes. uh, crucified upside down for Lord. Yeah, as, as you talk about that, John, I'm reminded of the great quote from Albert Einstein um, in, in reference to the Catholic Church, Um, What I once despised, I now have a great affection for, because it has withstood the test of time. Yeah, Yeah, that wonderful line from, quote from uh, Albert Einstein. I mean, and it's mindful, you know. Yeah, I mean, Christ, he is uh, the identity. I mean, he, uh, Christ is the personality in the church, despite (laughs) all of its, um, failures and, and 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 change of personnel because again it's been infused with the gift of the Holy Spirit that love shared between yes. the Father and the Son. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks for sharing that, John. And very important as we constantly look to reflect into some practical pieces and pieces that we can continue to to give us that pieces that give us hope. You know this this man uh, that is you know one outrageous extreme after another in Peter. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, I, I want to be sure to touch upon a very important truth as it gets into Matthew 16, and that is, John, a fulfillment that uh, takes place from Isaiah 22. Uh, you know, I get asked the question a lot, well, how do we know that Christ is actually establishing the church? And how, how can we say, I mean, where, where is that in Scripture beyond Matthew 16? Well, if you go to Isaiah 22... I mean, listen to these verses. This is Isaiah 22, verse 21. And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy guide. And I will commit thy governance into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. What is going on here? Well, in Isaiah 22, you have the installation of John, a new prime minister, okay? Now, in history, what would happen, and this is recorded in Isaiah 22 in the kingdom of David, but we see this uh, see this in other uh, kingdoms and civilizations where a king, there'd be the, the bells and the announcement and, and the sound of the trumpet for the whole kingdom to gather in a plaza. The king would come to the balcony with his newly elected prime minister, mm-hmm. And the Queen Mother would always be out there as well. But for our discussion today, tonight, it's about the Prime Minister. And as a sign of entrusting his authority as king to the Prime Minister, he would take keys, and I've got keys here. Okay, keys. And he would show the whole kingdom the keys, and he would place them in the pocket of the new Prime Minister as a sign that he would now hold authority over the kingdom. Now, we see this in other kingdoms as well, so this isn't entirely uncommon. So, in this case, we have uh, King Hilkiah entrusting authority uh, to this new prime minister, Eliakim, so that the new kingdom essentially would see that this is the man in charge. And there's always going to be, it was understood, this kind of ongoing dialogue between the prime minister and the king. Why is this important? Well, if we paid close attention to what you read for us, John, Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20, you had keys. You did. (laughs) You had the language of shutting and opening that we read in uh, Isaiah 22. There was authority, right? Authority. Shutting and opening, binding and loosening. And of course, uh, this is all about the kingdom. The kingdom. What uh, Christ does here is more than meets the eye, if we don't know the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. He is entrusting to Peter the power and authority over the church that he came to establish. And there wasn't any question to this early on. I mean, certainly there was going to debate, but this was, you said it already, I mean, you see the, the figure and person of Peter three times more than any other apostle. And that's for a reason right because he was kind of looked at as the one in in spite of his outrageous extremes he was still the one who was the man in charge in this great confession of faith in this great confession of faith our lord looks upon him and says yes you are the man you are the man
1: you remember your story about the supreme court
0: yes tell us yes about yes so i mean what's going on here you know uh, why the church why a prime minister why someone overseeing well My hope is in the United States today, we can gather this in 2014, but you need the Supreme Court. Why? So as to interpret the law, the Constitution. You need the church so as to just not interpret, but hand on the meaning of the law. That's very important, John, because ultimately, what would a family be without a father? What would a family be without a father? Let us remember that verse in Isaiah 22 father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Peter, as Petros, he's the rock, the father. And this is why we use the terminology Pope, that's Papa, father, father to the inhabitants of the new Jerusalem, as Paul talks about it, as we hear about in the book of Revelation. And in the context that we use it now, new Jerusalem, what we're talking about is the city of God, the people of God, the church, right? And as we draw this out, John, in our study of church history. How important is it that we draw back in the drawing out and say, okay, I'm going to go back to Matthew 16. I'm going to go back to Isaiah 22 because it is relevant in any stu- study of church history. It's because to un- it's to better understand the meaning of church. of people that have come together for the sake of witnessing to the truth of Jesus Christ. And yet yeah, it needs that father figure so as to be a sign and a shepherd of unity remember what the word pastor means uh, our shepherd means pastor unity what was pope francis what was his answer you know they were talking about the titles of his name as pope you know your holiness and you know all of these different names vicar of christ and he says call me shepherd right. call me father that's what i am yeah. because that's what christ does when he institutes Peter as this first father figure. Because why? The prime minister, his primary role was to shepherd, yes. <laughs> was to lead, was to guide. And uh, we are so thankful for, you know, God has had a love affair with shepherds. You know, Amos, J. Joseph, uh, all. I mean, David, one shepherd after another. And so he gives us a new shepherd in Peter and, of course, the church through the ages in 2,000 years. So yeah, we'll be able to pick up, John, with this subject matter in future programs for sure. Wow, this time went by fast. (laughs) It does. It always (laughs) does show. But uh, we'll, we'll be able to pick up this subject matter and do so for the sake of better understanding church history. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at jholljmj at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.